0: Welcome back, family. In this special episode brought to you by Target, our home for style this HBCU homecoming season, we are going to get into that style, that magic, and the culture we're celebrating right now. For a lot of people listening, most of you would be packing up to head back to campus for homecoming. And this year, we're doing it a little differently. But we are still going to do it up like we should. We are talking homecoming looks, we are talking HBCU movies, we are talking the music, and all the ways HBCUs have affected pop culture today. So let's get into it so we can decide which ones we are riding for and which ones we are electric sliding away from, okay? And we have some New family here today. Per usual, my name is Danielle Cadet. I am the managing editor of Refinery 29 Unbothered. And we have my good sister, Chelsea Sanders. Chelsea,
1: say hello to the folks one more time. Hello, hello, folks. Back at it, back into it. Let's go. Let's go. Very, very,
2: very excited to have our sister, Whitney Carlisle. What up, sis? Hey, hey, hey. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am Whitney Carlisle. I am on the content operations team at Refinery29 and Vice. I graduated from the Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University, a.k.a. the number one public HBCU that was just rolled out. I hail from the highest of seven hills. I mean, no more. I have to say no more. Put that respect on the name. I'm here for it. (laughs) Amen, amen. Yes. (laughs) So
0: every episode, we have a little something that we share with you guys. We'll pick a category. And on today's episode, we are choosing our favorite fictional HBCU character that we most identify with from pop culture. Mine is very cliche, so everybody's already like, we know who Danielle little bougie behind gonna be, blah, 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 whatever. Fine, I don't care. (laughs) I most identify with Whitley Gilbert. Yes, yes, I fell in love with Whitley from the first time I saw A Different World. I was identified with her, even like even though Whitley's like wildly insufferable. It's in so in some cases, mm-hmm, like you're mm-hmm. like, what is going on with you? I think who she grows to be is like amazing. Like just watching her evolution from the first season of the show um, all mm-hmm. the way to when she is Mrs. Gilbert Wayne. Yep. Also speaking of Mrs. Gilbert Wayne, I um, very much. Got married to the real Dwayne Wayne. So I am <laughs> Mrs. Cadet Wiggins. Okay. You know, I definitely identify with ending up with a math major who's a little nerdy, but, you know, makes solving for X very sexy. So shout out to my husband. Okay. 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 Come on. You see what I did Care there? Therefore,
1: Therefore, <laughs> all of it. Thank you. All right. Chelsea, which fictional HBCU character do you identify most with? Okay, obviously I am Beyonce from Beach <laughs> No, no. Claim it no. says claim it. You know, I i would, but I my knees don't go down like that. So. <laughs> no, I'm gonna be real because we're we're again we're keeping 100 And I am most definitely Zoe Zelda, Layla from Drumline. She was very ebony had her dad in all in her business, and was like, I do not have time for you. Thank you, and good luck. But she got drawn in, she got seduced, <laughs> she was doing her steps, looking cute, and was ultimately like I feel like she found. Where she was supposed to be. And I appreciate that. And she kept her hair laid at the same time. So aspiration. Yes. Aspiration. Yes. Not there yes. yet. The growth. We're trying. The growth. Yes. The, the new growth, too. She, I feel <laughs> like her
0: character is the sleeper. She's a sleeper fictional character. Because her daddy was the dean, right? And yes, like, exactly mm. had the the when she was in yes. the club strolling, like, yes, she, and,
1: like she had to live with like in a lot of different worlds and a yeah, lot of yeah. different spaces, and yes. she had to shift between them. And silent <laughs> killer. She, Yes. Silent killer, which is so on appropriate brand. for
0: you. Yes. Right. <laughs> Very on brand Probably, for yes. you, Chelsea. <laughs> Pastor Pastor Sanders. Yes. <laughs> okay,
2: with. So for me, it's gonna be the opposite end of the spectrum from Chelsea. I would definitely relate to Charmaine Taisha Brown oh, from on, A Different World. <laughs> Remember, she always said her whole name. I am Charmaine Taisha Brown. You know, she was from Brooklyn. I'm from Brooklyn. She was loud. She was funky. She was fast talking. She was energetic. She was always in your business. She always had something to say. She was gonna correct you when you was wrong. All of that. I all love all of that. Is me yes. one thousand percent. And ironically enough, my middle name is Charmaine. So no, like look at the universe. Exa- exactly. Yeah. Yes. Like, totally. She was totally meant for me. Like Charmaine I, was. She had her balance, and she was always like the
0: first one raising yeah. her hand. <laughs> yep. In the, in, yep. She was yep. always like, I know the answer. I know. Yes. <laughs> yes,
2: exactly. And I'm like that as well. But for me, it's if I'm right or wrong. If, if I know I don't. Unfortunately, I'm that person who isn't afraid to raise my hand and could possibly be wrong. I'm here for the Charmaine energy.
0: I'm, mm-hmm. I'm here for that. I love, I love that. <laughs> so we've got some good fictional representation here. But as we know, and as we have admitted, knowing that Chelsea and I went to very white schools, we had to bring our good sister Whitney in to represent the HBCU culture, as we discuss the, the fictional representation of it, right? Because it's one thing for Chelsea and I to be like, oh, we love this. We love a different world. But like, we need to know, like, is that actually a real depiction, right? So- It is. Whitney, you are here <laughs> as the judge. You are going to tell us what's up as we kind of work through all of these I mean, there are so many incredible representations of HBCUs and popular culture, right? Obviously talked about a different world and how impactful that was, but there's also school days, right? There is Drumline, there is Stomp the Yard, which we will get into. (laughs) Um, There's so many shows and movies where HBCU culture is front and center. And of course we would be remiss to not discuss Beachella, right? Wit, tell us about FAMU and tell us, like, do you feel like the representations of HBCU culture in fiction and pop culture are real-life representations of what it actually felt like to be on the yard at HBCU?
2: Absolutely. I thoroughly enjoy the current depiction in pop culture, and I would say we need more of it. It makes me so proud to see HBCU culture and just the narrative of HBCUs in general being spoken about, it's not, you know, historically, no pun intended, it's not historically something that, you know, is, is talked about, is in the main front, is in entertainment. So the fact that, you know, within the last couple of years, last decade, it's been, you know, talked about more, it's been put in movies, it's been put in shows, I love it. I think pop culture plays such an important role in so many ways, right?
0: It is oftentimes our introduction to things. And I want to talk about how we all were introduced to HBCU culture because we all have different experiences in in that realm. And, And it, I think, affected all of us, right, in different ways. And if I may start, I think for me, A Different World was definitely my introduction to HBCU culture. It was really the first time that I saw... Black kids in college, really. So it was really my first time seeing kids that look like me in a collegiate environment. And certainly, like, down the road, I watched Moesha go to college. I watched T and Tamara and Sister Sister go to college. But before that, the first time I was seeing people that looked like me matriculate in, like, higher education was a different world. And I was fascinated by it. Like, Like I said, I loved Whitley. I had a crush on Dwayne Wayne, y'all. I'm not even going to lie. Like, (laughs) Kadeem Hardison, what up, though? (laughs) Like, not even playing if this man was in front of me today. Like, I'm married, so I can't finish that sentence. But I love me some Kadeem Hardison. So for me, it was just, like, really dope to see all of these different characters. Like, you have, obviously, like, Whitley, who's one thing. And in the early seasons, obviously, you have Denise, who's kind of, like, finding her way. You have Jaleesa. Jalisa, Who's, like, yes. super focused and, mm-hmm. like, you know, doing her thing. You have the brilliant Cree Summer, you know, as Freddie, who is just, like, an activist and is, like, standing up for everything she believes in. And also really understanding what that, like, how that operates as a college student, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because I then went into college, like fighting the power, you know what I mean? And that is what I, you know, ended up being exposed to. So, and I loved that, you know what I mean? And I think pop culture does that for us. Wait, let's start with you in terms of like, you know, what was your first pop cultural reference for
2: HBCUs or like, did you have that experience at all? Yeah, absolutely. So I didn't get hip to... HBCUs and PWIs in general, like for quite some time. So I am the opposite of what most people say or hear or what, what, you, know, what you hear, folks going to an HBCU where it's like, when I was a kid, I always knew what I wanted to be when I grew up and I knew I wanted to go to this school. And like, unfortunately, I wish I you know, had that direction and that vision, but it, it really wasn't. You know, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York but my parents moved us to Florida right before I started high school. So, you know, being in New York, it was just a, a little bit of a different vibe. You know, I went to a private school and, you know, education was definitely something that was important in my home. You know, my mom always made sure I was, you know, in, in programs, in school, getting good grades and things like that. But it, I never really thought about further down the line. I feel like it was a lot of survival, like, let's get through here, and then I left and came to Florida, and then it was like, now I have to have this huge, big culture shock, so, you know, let me get through high school, and then it wasn't really until high school that I really started to understand the dynamic of what the rest of my life would look like, depending on what school I went to. So, you know, I had teachers who were, you know, Greek, you know, I had teachers who went to HBCU, some went to PWI. So I was able to start hearing those conversations and really start doing my homework and doing my research. And then ironically, my mom, while I was in high school, decided to obtain her bachelor's degree. So she ended up going to FAMU. And mm-hmm. then with her doing that- Shout out her, to your mama. Mm-hmm. Shout out yes. to my mama. Mm-hmm. Come on, come on, being a mom and getting a bachelor's yes. exactly. exactly, exactly. So she definitely showed me like, for real, like, no, this is what you can do. This is what you should do. And, you know, once Mm -hmm. she graduated, like it was a wrap. I knew FAMU, you know, I had other schools on my radar, but once she graduated from there and once I heard the stories of FAMU and I started meeting other seniors who were going, it was was a done deal. It Mm -hmm. was a done deal. So yeah, it wasn't a little bit until later on down the line, but once I got my hands on you know, what was HBCU and what was HBCU culture, like, it was no looking back. And I'm so happy that I was able to make that decision, even though it could have went a completely different way. Like,
0: completely different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Chels, you have a different experience, too, because
2: you have...
1: HBCU like running through your veins.
2: Literally. Yes.
0: Like,
1: like seriously. Yeah. So I know we talked about this earlier, but so my, both of my brothers who are, you know, 10 or 15 years older than me, both went to HBCUs. Um, my oldest brother went to Howard and my younger one went to Morehouse. And so for me, HBCUs were, was always something that was in the house. So I, I was always around it, but I think, it was older and it was like for my brothers and it was for their like cool lifestyle. And I think for me growing up in LA, and I said this before, I grew up in a, a really big melting pot with different people from a lot of different backgrounds. And you know, growing up in LA and Hollywood, I, I went to school with a lot of actors' kids. So I grew up seeing a lot of these actors who were in these shows, in these iconic shows, like picking up their kids from school every day. So for me, HBCU culture was like almost like a fantasy world like it didn't seem real it seemed like okay like you go on the set and you play right like and you play like there's a place where it's only black people and everyone like is thriving but Mm -hmm. for me my life HBCUs was was like a fantasy and I think all the black people in my life who were doing this were exceptional, but that also means that they were an exception, right? That's like, so uh,
2: crazy <laughs> that that's how you thought because I would think somebody so close to it thought it was attainable, you right. know? I would think that you would have thought like, no, this is not fantasy. I can really do this, right. but it's the complete opposite. That's Completely so real. The
1: opposite. That's like a fan. It's like Fantasy Island. Like
0: it's yes.
2: utopia. It's like <laughs> it that is, that is utopia.
1: Yeah. And like they can play that on a Hollywood set when you can yell cut.
0: You know, right. crazy. Like that's such an interesting way to think about it. Cause for me, I saw it on television. And then even though I didn't choose to go to an HBCU, you know, I went to Northwestern. Shout out to, to the black cats out there, Go Cats. Even though we I went to a very white school, we kind of created our own little HBCU culture. Like it it we there weren't a lot of us, but we very much we were a family. You know what I mean? I remember taking my husband back to homecoming for the first time and it was very like, y'all, <laughs> if you ever have an opportunity to take an HBCU grad to a PWI homecoming, <laughs> do it and record it for me and send it to me, okay? Because he was like, what am, what you got? What, what foolishness? This? Like, you're going to be having, there's going to be beer pong and keggers. Like, <laughs> are we going to be, and, like, I'm out here, and... where, where, where the <laughs> no, Frankie okay. Beverly and Maze? where to ribs, right. you know what I mean? And so I remember him being like, how are we going to find the Black people? And I was like, oh oh, we will find we the Black them. folk, okay? <laughs> and as soon as we got to the tailgate, it's like a sea of Black, I said, oh yes, that's our that's our
2: plot right there. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, that's definitely a good playlist. I'm sure somewhere that someone has curated that's basically a list of songs that, I think our generation, us as millennials, you know, yes. this, that when you hear it, that just takes you back to your school. Like, 100%. it's Webby, it's yes. anything Boosie, Hurricane, you know, Hurricane Chris, hey, baby. Yes. Like, hey, baby. I am D E P E M D E. Like, you already
0: know. So, that's the other thing is that, like, not only just how HBCU culture existed in pop culture, but how the culture, like, how. Greek life and HBCU culture capitalized on the culture that exists, right? Mm -hmm. Like music that Mm -hmm. then just becomes part of this life and you can't hear certain songs like without, without associating mm-hmm. it with you know folks gonna be strolling folks mm-hmm. gonna be stepping or the band was playing this mm-hmm. song you mm-hmm. know what I mean something like that and look maybe some artists owe some commission checks to
1: I think <laughs> you know to the I family I'm oh for sure you know without, without that like these songs would not have been popular they would they not were. have been
0: that's exactly they would not have been as hot as they whereas the dream says, pay me for the song, okay? It right. yeah. right. is not right. a game. Like, there, right. there's so much pop culture that is that is intrinsically involved in, you know, that HBCU culture. I mean, but and- let's
2: be real. Black culture is pop culture. Come on. Like, let's mm-hmm. be very Say real. Say mm. it. Black Say culture it. is pop culture because let's, under- let's break it down to what pop culture means. It's a popular on. culture. So anything that's popular, it comes from the Black people. Come us, on, it wait. comes from well, us. Okay. So, I mean, <laughs> it... it it is what it is. I mean, he came through with the word Pastor Carlisle. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to we the round table. table yes, okay? yes, yes. Have
1: you a seat with
0: the fire. Have a <laughs> seat. But here's okay. So here's my question because for so long, HBCU culture existed in this bubble, right? Like to your point, with you know, black culture is pop culture. We are the popular culture. If we say something's cool. Everybody says it's cool. Like once we once we you know say anoint it and once right. we bless it, <laughs> then all of a sudden you got white folks getting on, you know. One one minute Lil Wayne saying bling bling, next minute it's in the Webster's dictionary, yeah. right? So now HBCU culture to me felt like it belonged to us for a while, right? Like if you think about I don't know how many white people have seen school days, right? I don't know how many white people have seen a different world. But as time went on, right, drumline, you have more, you expose it to a a larger culture. You have it, it getting a little bit bigger. And then we have the cello, right? I feel like you get this climax of Beyonce bringing HBCU culture front and center in a way that had never been done before and not only at Coachella which is largely attended by white folks of course mm-hmm. black folks be at Coachella yep. but Coachella's historically a white festival yeah and then to bring it to a Netflix special mm. where folks can watch that globally right yep. and that and it like shut it down and my question
2: is because I thought about this was like do we want that I am one who is all for serviceable content. I'm all for absolving folks of their ignorance Mm. so that they cannot go ahead Mm. and uh, perpetuate that ignorance because it's not cute. So when when I see these things, for me, it's education. It's me. It's for me. It's now the white people, now all these other people who don't know. Now you know. You know what I mean? And I feel like HBCU culture is so ingrained in us it's so us that it's it's very hard to appropriate and now Mm. knock on wood I hope Mm. I'm not you know saying that before Mm. I can but it's very hard to appropriate so I'm not scared that they're gonna take it and run like you can't be an HBCU if you're not from an HBCU I mean if you think about when Taylor Swift I was gonna say Taylor Swift
0: tried though sis Taylor Swift tried Taylor Swift tried. So how how did we feel about when Taylor Swift made that that very we we disturbing attempt? Right. Yeah. You know, cuz that <laughs> I mean, she, was She know. tried it, you know she what tried I mean? It.
2: even even before we even get to that, even the different no world. No seasoning. Right. Right. No seasoning. Even even the first season, <laughs> even the first season of, you know, A Different World was kind of like a little wonky because mm-hmm. they didn't have actual people who went to HBCUs. So yeah, now when, for when, those when, for those of you that are listeners who do
0: not know because I I rarely watch the first season of A Different World, but um, our good and genius sis Debbie Allen came on for season two through six and made sure that she infused some very real HBCU culture into, into the show In everything mm-hmm. from hot sauce on the table to making sure that the cast went to AUC regularly to really soak up genuine HBCU culture and and shout out to Howard grads because Debbie Allen is a, a very proud alumni of Howard University. So She's yeah, I mean you're right.
1: Just give me five minutes and we'll we'll make it yeah, we'll exactly, right
0: exactly, That's exactly real quick. So you're saying yeah. with that that can't even unless you are genuinely part of that culture, mm. you can't appropriate that culture. Is that what that's what you're saying?
2: Yeah, definitely. Like 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 we were saying with um Taylor Swift, the minute that came, you know, that was seen. It was like a, whoa, what is this? Completely left field. Like right. this doesn't even make any sense. Like even down to like the wardrobe, like you could, you could tell that she, that she tried. She, One she tried of these it.
0: things is not like the, like other. the other. Exactly. Yeah. And it was <laughs> like, even down test.
2: to like the wardrobe and stuff. It was like, no, that doesn't even look like what we would, the palette is all off. It's not on brand. Come on. We so gotta, do you? So you feel like white people can't get to it? Is it? Is it safe? HBCU culture is safe? I, I, yo, it's 2020 though. So I mean, at this point, it's like anything. Really can't, can I mean, happen. anything, <laughs> anything, anything can happen. But I would really like to say that they can't. I think we have some really tight gatekeepers. I think you know, we. we I think I, I would like to say it's impenetrable. But you know, not on wood. I don't know. It's 2020. From your,
1: from your lips to God's
2: ears. It's right say, out. You know? see
1: Katy Perry and Dua Lipa stepping uh, please oh, right? no. Please. Oh, please say. <laughs> no. no. You never I, know. You now, right.
0: now, here's my question. My question to Chelsea, because, because Chelsea and I went to white schools, right? But Whit- Whitney and I do not have many white friends, right? So Chelsea, <laughs> I need for you to, to enter, to tell us. <laughs> Oh, the other half lives of um, the um, the and ambassador now as to, the ambassador to the white people.
1: I mean, I haven't registered anything that Taylor Swift has done in, in a long time. I just I just put that out there. Number one, like I, she does not figure in my life at all. But I also just I we talked about this before, but there are limits to how far my black ambassadorship goes. <laughs> I Michelle mean, mean, is like a bridge too far. Like Chelsea my wife said, Chelsea said I will not go there. Yes, like those are my boundaries and I'm sticking (laughs) to them. Do not come ask me anything about, so why was it pink and why was it yellow? And when you (laughs) got the twins out there, like I'm not Not doing any of it. I'm not 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 doing any of that work. But I will say there was like an energy and an excitement that like I know translated. And I Mm. think like that's, I think what you're saying, Whitney, is like really interesting because I think there is still this idea of like, oh my God, if it's at Coachella, which is, you know, a Mecca, for a lot of white people in desert, like, right. then it's cool. So, how do right. we get to it? Right. You just can't. So, you just right. sit back and you appreciate it and you recognize that maybe this is not your song. You come in on the next one. <laughs> well, because I worry, right? Like, it's kind of like
0: BC and AD. It's like before mm. Beyonce and after Beyonce. I worry that, like, uh-huh. before Beyonce. HBCU culture was ours it was like even if you didn't go to an HBCU there was something about being black that you could still experience that culture but i worried that like once the beyonce open the floodgates and like you know let the white people in and and you we all have talked about it it's a little scary when white people come into the room because that's when stuff goes left you know so like do we lose the authenticity that is HBCU culture by opening it up to a larger audience.
2: No, I don't I don't think so. Like I said before, I think I feel like we're in a time right now where shout out to HBCUs, they were able to provide a place where Black folk could go to school, get the knowledge, graduate, and then go out into these spaces. And I feel like right, like right now, we're reaping the benefits of those HBCU graduates, those woke folks being in those rooms yes. to be able to catch that. You mm. know what I mean? Like, I know, Amen. I mean, we have the Will Packers of the world who graduated from FAMU, who yes, was a director yeah. and is able to tell these stories. I know so many people, you know, younger than me and older than me, who um, have these great jobs in entertainment and tech in fashion in these spaces where they're able to bring these conversations to light and then not be taboo anymore? So, you know, again, shout out to HBCUs for granting Black folks an opportunity to get an education, to get out there, and to be the change that we want to see. Like, very similar to that scene in that episode of A Different World when. Freddie had kind of changed it up and she was no longer that free spirit. She ended up yeah. becoming a mm-hmm. lawyer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she had the slick back mm-hmm. hair mm-hmm. and her yeah. and yeah, she Jada relaxed Piquet. her hair. Corporate Barbie. Corporate Slip Barbie. Back bun. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She had the slick back bun and the suit. And Lena at the time was like, hey, you know, you're not about the cause anymore. And mm-hmm. how are you not going to be on the front lines anymore? Yes, we have activists who are out there on the front lines and are speaking, but then you also have the folks who are behind the scenes in the boardrooms, like you said, and, and mm. politics, you know, who are still in those rooms and, and allowing us to be seen and be heard. So
0: Ooh, mm. that is a word. And I'm so glad you put it like that, because I think one of the great things that we saw in a different world was sort of the evolution, right? Of like what it is, who you are in college and who you become as an adult. But it's such a great point to say that like, you know, you have to have folks in the room who understand the struggle and Mm. that doesn't necessarily mean they're selling out, right? That means that we're trying to make, we're trying to set a path that makes it easier. Maybe that makes, that makes it easier for us to reinforce this culture and that is so real shout out to the HBCU alums across society that are just doing big things and you know as we talk about folks who makes his who have made history let's talk about the future what are the what's the future of the HBCU legacy because you know this is a thing that we hear a Mm -hmm. lot we both have acknowledged that we may have made a different choice today knowing what we know about life but for you coming from truly having HBCU in your DNA and in your veins, what do you feel
1: like the legacy of HBCUs is? You know, I think it's so interesting because I I have this conversation with my brothers a lot. And I have this conversation with my sister who, who went to Georgetown and, Mm. you know, very similarly with me went was very entrenched in the PWI mindset. And she's like, I would, I never regret this. I, and I think that, what i chose was right for me because that's the culture i wanted and i i agree the education that i chose was correct but i think what i missed and the legacy that i'm so proud to talk about today is that experience and i think like that community and that sense of communion and that sense of togetherness of like no no one can take this from us like that idea that you never even have to question that experience, I don't know what that feels like. I don't know what it's like to not question your college experience and to not question how you grew up and I think and how you came up, right? I don't think that is something that I will ever necessarily have. And I think that confidence of self and that confidence in that community is the legacy that HBCUs have. And that's the legacy that HBCUs share with the world. And that's why I think it's one of those things that you can't take because you don't even, you don't know about this. Yep. So good luck and Godspeed. <laughs> and you know what I mean? And that's that. So that experience that is so just like, so us with it, like mm. a capital, like say it with your chest, us, yeah. us, <laughs> us. Like that is the, <laughs> the legacy. And that's what, I am so proud of, again, but that I I didn't quite get. Mm, mm. As Solange says, this is for us.
2: Exactly, okay?
1: Yes, yes,
0: okay. (laughs) We have officially reached my personal favorite part of every episode. And if you are a longtime listener of the Go Off Sis podcast, you are all too familiar with the Don't At Me segment of our episodes. For those of you who don't know, don't at me is the part of our episode where we tie a nice little bow on our conversation and we summarize our feelings, our thoughts, our opinions. And you are not allowed to at us as cousin NeNe Leak says, I said what I said and that's it. We are going to have our good sister Whitney as the resident HBCU representative. Please take it away for this episode's Don't At Me, sis.
2: Okay. So I know I've been the sole HBCU graduate here on this episode, but don't confuse me with Lil mom because I am not the voice of the people. I'm humbly yet proudly sharing my personal HBCU culture experience at the Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University from the very unique community and family connections that transcend well into your postgraduate life to on-campus treasures like the CAV, the set, and of course those dorms. HBCU culture is unmatched. I'm actually thrilled that folks who are unaware of the black excellence that HBCUs produce are finally being informed. Hopefully now those ignorant myths can be put to rest. Shout out to the Drumlines, the A Different Worlds, the Beachellas, the Spike Lees of the world for getting it right. Shout out to Martin and Fresh Prince for rocking our Nelia. And shout out to the rappers for dropping those bars and naming us in their songs. Like I said, Black culture is pop culture. And as long as HBCUs continue to produce top talent, that lands roles as industry-leading companies, or hell, create their own groundbreaking enterprises. The culture will never die, nor be diluted or appropriated by folks who don't have a clue. So please, don't at me.
0: Season three of the Go Off Cis Podcast was made possible by Target, our home for style this HBCU homecoming season. We all know there's no HBCU culture without homecoming, and there's no homecoming without the creativity, style, and joy that comes from this season. So whether you're an HBCU student, fan, auntie, or alum, Target is here to celebrate everything you love about homecoming right on time. From supporting our sisterhood, to hyping our heritage, and breaking the mold, Target gives us the power to showcase our personal style and embrace our communities with pride. So even though the family reunion may look a little different, it can still feel like home. Whether we're on the yard or gathering virtually this fall, remember that the looks won't stop and neither will our legacy. Head over to Target.com or the Target app to check out all things style to take your celebrations to the next level. I am so excited for today's guest I can speak for everyone when I say we are all fangirling we are extremely extremely ecstatic to welcome the one and only Cree Summer who I have to say is I, this is not an exaggeration when I say she's the voice of a generation okay like truly from everyone from Freddie Brooks to Susie Carmichael to like to just so much representation for black girls on screen. There's not enough that I can say
3: about the one, the only Cree Summer. Cree, thank you so much for being here with us today. It is an absolute delight. And what an intro, child. I'm going to siphon confidence off of that for the next week. Thank you.
0: <laughs> I mean, there's still, there's so many more, <laughs> like, I'm not even, like, a different world. As told by Ginger, Clifford the Big Red Dog, rats. Like, yes, hello, like can we, we can keep going. There's just, I don't think we have enough time to list them all. So let's go ahead and get into it. A different world. Let's start there. Because okay. this season is all about HBCU cultures. And I feel like... Hillman is everybody's HBCU, right? Even if you didn't if you didn't go to an HBCU, if you didn't go to college, I don't care who you are, everybody went to Hillman. We're all Hillman grads, like That's truly. Right. And it's just such a big part of the culture. And it premiered in 1987. You came on in season two, along with Debbie Allen. We talked about really how the show shifted with Debbie Allen, um, particularly for her as a Howard alum, who came in and really brought that, that authenticity of the HBCU perspective, including you know, hiring you. Can you talk about that process of really making the show true to that HBCU experience and authentic, reflecting that authenticity, particularly being surrounded by iconic Black actors like Richard Roundtree, having folks like Lena Horne come on, you know, the episode with Whoopi Goldberg. I can, you know, again, I could go on, but there was really a shift in the show as far as really representing that true authenticity of the HBCU experience. Can you talk about that a little bit?
3: Well, that was definitely all Debbie Allen and our incredible showrunner, Susan Fales. And, you know, certainly not me. I came from Toronto, Canada. I'm a high school dropout. So I don't know anything. I didn't know anything about an HBCU until I auditioned for a different world, but Debbie really infused the culture you know, we had stepping, we had protest, and at last we had. She brought in and individuated all these characters so that, as the the viewers, you could feel at last represented. There was someone for everybody. There was Jalisa, who was had been married and returning to college. There was Kim, who was just so steadfast, and she was going to become a doctor. And Whitley, who was full of shit but so smart. And so deep when you really got down to it to become an art dealer. And Freddie, who was, of course, the bleeding heart of the world, and Dwayne, our engineer, and Ron Johnson, representing the Shuck and Jive, which we always have. And I just think, you know, Debbie bringing in um, the aspect of stepping, Debbie bringing in the, uh, uh, the way that... Black people do fraternities and sororities, which is very different from the way white people do it. The way we do a homecoming, the way we do things with our rhythm and our soul. And that was the the, the difference that Debbie brought and the distinction that Debbie brought. And also, I guess, to just speak on what you said about the parade of Black royalty that came through this show, you know... And I remember hanging out with Lena Horn, who, by the way, curses like a sailor and had my heart immediately. Uh, that. That's amazing. <laughs> my my kind of dame, you know, and Josephine Permese, too. All the chicks that came on were just full of firemen. And I remember the one reoccurring thing that they just couldn't believe was, are you kidding me? First of all, we're driving through the front gate. Right? We don't have to enter from the, from the back. Wow. Secondly, mm. we got a tricked-out dressing room. Mm. Third, we're being directed by a Black woman, mm. executive produced by a Black woman, and the show is starring a Black woman. Mm. I mean, everybody couldn't believe it. I mean, imagine what young actor gets to be beside all their heroes all at once. It's crazy. Kree. I have to share this with you. I
0: shared how big of a crush I had on Kadeem Hardison. So I just must say that I'm very jealous of you that you once got to call him your boyfriend. My <laughs> first boyfriend.
3: My first boyfriend. Oh. He's Bye. just like my dream. My, my first everything. I mean, God bless him. We rode... When I was, this is such a crazy story, but when I was a little girl, I didn't have a TV. So, you know, if I got to a friend's house and they had a TV, I would just mainline it. You know, I would inject it into my arm and zombie right out. And I remember seeing an episode of Happy Days where Fonzarelli and Pinky Tuscadero were riding motorcycles and doing wheelies. And I looked at my mother and I said, Mama, that's real love. Oh, and oh my god. when I met Kadeem, he and Daryl rode motorcycles, and my father collected motorcycles. Oh my god! So Kadeem and I rode motorcycles together, and as a girl, for me, it was the ultimate. Fonzie and Pinky, it was that's real love, you know what
1: I mean? It doesn't get cooler than that,
3: right? Yeah, we didn't have any responsibilities, and we were just young and living our lives. I mean, he had enough free time to be a real great boyfriend, you know. (laughs) Shit is a little more stressful these days, so let's (laughs) cut our brother some slack,
2: right? So, now, Cree, with that being said, you've also talked about how a different world was your college experience, and at the time, you were college-aged. I mean, what was that like, and did you ever consider going to a traditional HBCU?
3: You know, I'm from Toronto, Canada. We don't have any HBCUs, <laughs> so uh, gotcha. I, don't, I, I don't even think it was in my uh, in my subconscious. I mean... But I will say that, you know, I really had no respect for higher education. Maya. Mm. My, I, I didn't start school until the fourth grade officially because I lived on an Indian reservation. And then I lived nomadic in a school bus with my mother and father. So... I didn't have that a formal education until the fourth grade. And then I started working professionally very young. I couldn't wait to get out of school. I remember yeah. <laughs> I turned to my father and I said, I don't think I can do this anymore. And he said, well, what took you so long? You know, we were wondering... <laughs> Why the hell? But that but I have to say that irreverence did not hold because once I did move to the States and start doing a different world and start traveling to different HBCUs and learning the impact that our show was having on educating young black America, well I got turned out and I got my mind changed. <laughs> I got my mind changed and now I wish. That I hadn't been so raggedy. Maybe I would have gone to school. I mean, (laughs) no, not raggedy. Never, I mean, that's, never.
0: That's, that's a conversation that we've had. Chelsea and yeah. I both went to PWIs and like I am uh, married to an HBC grad and there are definitely times where I'm like, dang, maybe I need to relive. Let me go, uh, Yeah, maybe I have done it. Like I should have some and unlearning. You, you make a great point in <laughs> yes. terms of like the, you're making a great point about the impact of the show. And that's definitely something that we've talked a lot about. It's just like the, the, the long-term cultural impact of, of shows like A Different World, particularly the topics that were discussed because it was so oh pivotal. God. There's the episode where Freddie is sexually assaulted. You know, there's...
3: Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Do you know it wasn't, that was just defined then, when, when that episode was a, was the date rape episode. Uh, And that was, I mean, if we look at our calendars, I don't remember when it was, I smoked so much weed. I have no sense of time, but I do know that it wasn't that long ago. Right. ladies? Right. right. So, right. And I remember when it happened, we as a collective in america had just started naming it date rape Mm -hmm. right we were just all getting raped by our friends right and nobody had a fucking term or a definition and certainly no one was being persecuted for it right so that episode was huge. huge and let me tell you god bless debbie allen She fought for everything. They didn't want us to talk about date rape. They didn't want us to talk about AIDS. Do you know we weren't allowed to show a condom in the Mm. AIDS episode? Poor Tisha Campbell had to point to her purse and say, there's a condom in here. (laughs) Wow. It's so embarrassing that People were dying of AIDS by thousands and thousands of people are dying of AIDS and we couldn't even show a condom.
2: Wow. You know, wow.
3: it just wow. shows you how censorship can kill us. Yeah. We gotta be careful.
0: That is fascinating, especially right now. Like, okay. The, to think about, we're still figuring out conversations around consent, right? We're still, Uh we were just recently having conversations about whether or not they're showing condoms on shows like Insecure, right? Like Uh the evolution of how we have portrayed sexuality, how the conversation around some of these complicated topics has evolved over time. And Freddie... Was this outspoken force in every episode? Freddie had a cause, right? She was talking <laughs> about something. There was all whether it was apartheid, whether it was you know it was Freddie was always out there. She and, was our Twitter. We right, yeah. We talking about Freddie, Freddie. walked so Twitter could run. Okay, yes. <laughs> absolutely, and and but also you know I think to a certain extent as a fan of of yours personally. There, there's a bit of art imitating life there, where like that, that yeah. also is very much who you are, very genuinely. Did you develop that spirit you you feel through Freddie, or the other way around?
3: Was it like art imitating life? Well, oh, that, that, that was definitely first? art imitating life. I mean, my father was, my father was on the very first Greenpeace boat called the Rainbow Warrior, helmed by Captain John McCormick. and I remember, I remember as a kid, my mama and I. Seeing video because he would travel with Greenpeace, they would go to Russian waters and they would put themselves right in between the harpoon ship and the whale. And they would just be in a little dinghy playing bamboo flutes and singing the whale away to safety and putting themselves in extreme danger, and all, and getting arrested all the fucking time. I remember my old man was always getting arrested. But I will say the weirdest thing, I don't remember that in my interview for Different World. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember what happened, but I do know that I, what, I came in with my freak flag waving, and they certainly didn't suppress it. You know, the more vulnerable and honest I was with the writers I noticed the more she kind of evolved into looking into a mirror mm. that's beautiful
1: that is and I think that also that just speaks to I think like we were talking about being a voice of a generation and being a voice of this next generation right you talked about how your dad was you're so influential to your activism and I know you have two young children, Hero and Brave, and... Yeah, like, Samages. <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> but we love them, and I think like that, like, as we look at this next generation, we think about how young people are activating today, right, and doing ah. it so seamlessly just getting up and going and with social I'm media. I'm so proud of
3: everybody. It's amazing. This, this next generation is no slouch,
1: you know? <laughs> I mean, I, but I just totally.
3: remember when I was a kid, older people always talking about what assholes we were and how self-absorbed we were and blah, 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 which, you know, very well may have been true of my generation, but this generation... <sighs> I'd go into war with this generation any fucking day. I'm so impressed. I mean, honestly, I, I, I really would. I, I think we're the young people today are going to change the world, and we're just going to step back and support and do whatever we can to facilitate this. Totally. Yeah. I- I love that. And I think
1: that that also speaks to just, again, the, the legacy of what you built and and passing that off to the next generation. And as you sort of think about that with, you know, obviously a different world is, is on TV now and streaming. <laughs> so if it's for the people, with the people, and you think about that next generation, like, wh- what do you think that that legacy is for, for your kids? And what might a different world 2020 look like? Oh
3: God, I just wish they'd go ahead and do it. You know, it's so frustrating. <laughs> Um, but you know really? just, I gotta tell you the truth there's a lot of red tape it's not as easy as just all these assholes who are texting Debbie Allen and telling her to put the show back I mean if it were that fucking easy it'd be on tv already you know right. so everybody give her a break for the love of god you know you know it doesn't have to be a different world I just wish that someone would make again another show with the conscience mm-hmm. you know Listen, we we don't need every Black show to be responsible for the conscience of Black people, but we do need a couple. Shit, just give us one or two. Mm. You know, it almost seems like when that left, we just became, you know, but um, bump. Everything is a joke and everything is funny. And yes, I love to laugh. I love to laugh. But, you know, I would also like to see some young people handling some shit that can make me feel and evolve. And then it also just speaks to again us being represented in a well-rounded way. We gotta have we've got to be represented as an entire people, as an entire race. Not just this one little neck wagging aspect. It's not enough for me, you know. It's not enough. I have, you know, that's why I so loved, I know it wasn't necessarily a conscience raising thing and I'm a little biased, but my goddaughter, Zoe Kravitz, my beautiful little chica bandita made High Fidelity. (laughs) And I know I'm shameless. My baby brother, Rainbow Sun, played her older brother. And I just loved seeing another kind of freak, another aspect of black women. That we, that we never see, you know? I, I, I just want to see all the different shades of us.
2: Yeah. So, Cree, I'm convinced... That yes. Susie Carmichael ended up at an HBCU. Yes. At least the, the very 100%. least, her, her parents went went to an HBCU. At, at, the, at the very, very least. least, at the very least, oh, I think she
3: went and her little brother Edwin. hundred exactly, percent. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> so
2: can we talk with, with can we talk about some of your voice acting work, bringing iconic black cartoons to life when there weren't a lot and they certainly weren't being voiced by black women? So could you tell us about that?
3: Not only were there not a lot then, but there aren't a lot now. Now, You know, I mean, I'll speak to that second, I guess. The first thing I'll say about being able to play these iconic characters is I had no idea they were going to be iconic. But I did know right away I was proud of Susie because I remember Rugrats and what a big hit it was. And I that character came later. And I remember just, I couldn't believe that they had my whole family, my mother, my father, my siblings, my, my grandmama, I yes. had a Kwanzaa episode. Yes. And, you know, I remember just thinking, this is crazy. This is some groundbreaking shit. Yes, You know, because <laughs> not only was Susie smart as a whip, Yes. But she was so compassionate and so Absolutely. thoughtful. And then got in Angelica's ass, which is really <laughs> needed.
0: Very much um, so needed.
3: We talked about that. How the Carmichael family is so excellent.
0: They like so they're yes. such a representation of black excellence, which for I can certainly speak for myself when I say as a little girl watching that, it was like. It was just dope. It was amazing to be like, wow, like, this feels like a reflection of me. Again, as told by Ginger,
3: like, there's a lot of whiteness on that show. I loved Miranda. Oh, I, oh, Miranda. I loved her because she was, you know, she was the white girl's best friend. Yeah. And that's a part that I played. But, you know, Miranda had just as much money as her white friend. Mm-hmm. And... She was twice as evil as everybody else. And I love, <laughs> With that cackle. Like it, right? I love that bougie black villain. <laughs> was fantastic. And at the time, never even heard of. You know, I remember when I was doing, as told by Ginger, I was being directed by one of my friends, Carly Adler, and he kept saying, she's too mean. Pull back. I said, I can't, you know. I just felt compelled to make her even more like she just spit tax. You know, she was full of bile. Right. And listen, we have to be able to be full of shit and awful too. Yes. I love that. You know, I love yes. that. I mean, because yeah.
0: there's some complications that come with that, right? Like we yes. were just, we've had this conversation before about really showing Black characters in all their humanity, like uh, you, to this point of the Carmichael, Susie Carmichael, was de- there was definitely an excellence there. And we sometimes are afraid, I think, as Black people to
3: show that like there's, we could be complicated, we could be evil. And I just wanted to enjoy and revel in the dark side. But I wanted to talk a little bit, since you brought up cartoons, I did want to say a little bit of something about it because I think some things are getting misunderstood right now. uh talk you about know, it. You know, we've got, well, I, I guess, you know, we've just got these white women stepping down from jobs that they've always... I just remember when I first saw it on Twitter, I mean, I almost did a spit take and then I felt sick to my stomach because I thought, am I supposed to jump up and down for these motherfuckers because they stopped doing something they weren't supposed to fucking do in the First place. Exactly. I mean, the gall, the unmitigated gall <laughs> of like, you know, they stepped down, everybody put a cape on them and carried them off stage like they were sacrificing something. And the truth is they were appropriating. They shouldn't have been there. Mm. So that's my feeling about it. I know it's a little aggressive, but that's how I feel. And the reason <laughs> I feel that way is because here's the deal. You know, I have people on Twitter that I just block immediately who say, well, you voice white people. And, and voices don't have a color. Hey, fuck you. They really do. And, <laughs> you know, I know if I see a black character, I want to know there's a black person behind it. Right. Otherwise, you don't understand my struggle. There's an inauthenticity here. Right. And the other thing is, listen, I have to voice white characters. If I didn't, I would live in a fucking shoe. Yeah. Okay? Mm. Because there aren't enough. Black characters for me to make a living staying in that lane. There simply aren't enough. For every 30 white characters, there's one black one. Wow. For every white girl, there's maybe out of 20 a white girl's best friend who gets to ask, Are you okay? every other episode. <laughs> and I think that people have to realize that until they start making an equal amount of black cartoons to white, I will continue to voice white characters. And, and when they make that shift, sure, then I'll just do black ones. But until then, tough <laughs> titty. And tough titty too, you can't play a, an Asian American or a Japanese or a, a Hispanic or, or you can't play Native American if you're not. Mm. And that's just the way it is. And that, and that is how, you know, I've got, there's a handful of, Black people that do cartoons. And I know I'm speaking for all of us. I know it. We've had conversations about it.
1: Talk about voice of a generation. Voice you said a- what you said. So not <laughs> only did
0: you read our minds by getting to that question, but then you read dropped the, the mic. So we, we always joke about like when someone really like delivers a sermon, we're like, okay, Pastor Sanders. Okay, Pastor Crow. <laughs> <Pearl>. Okay, <laughs> Pastor Creed Summers out here giving us the truest yeah. and the realest but th- that was amazing. I love it. I want to thank you so much for being here, but also for being here. I can say that you have helped shape my worldview, whether I could see you or whether I couldn't. I could hear you, I could feel you. I knew that it was a representation of me. And I thank you for that on behalf of myself and our unbothered family. You have truly been impactful. And I, I again, It is not an overstatement to call you the voice of a generation. Thank you for all that you've done and thank you for all that you continue to do. And thank you again for being here on the Go Off Sis podcast. We can't thank you enough. Thank
3: you so much. Wow, you guys. I mean, what beautiful (laughs) ladies you are (laughs) unbothered. Listen, I don't usually say this, but I would hang out with you guys again on Oh, you guys guys are. Drop a pin, be right there. Give on hell, ladies. I just started following you on Instagram. All right.
0: (laughs) The Go Off Sis podcast is a Refinery29 original. It is produced by Chelsea Sanders, Rashad Isaac, and myself, Danielle Cadet. It's edited by Hanger Studios. My co-hosts today were Chelsea Sanders and Whitney Carlisle. Like what you heard and want some more? Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts to catch up on all episodes. And don't forget to drop a review or leave a comment to let us know what you think. You can also find us where it all started on Instagram at R29unbothered. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, it's okay to go off, sis.